Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode in our Arab Cup Roundtable series previewing the FIFA Arab Cup. Uh, if you're watching this, we are probably just under one year to go until the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. And there's no Confederations Cup this year, but the test tournament is an Arab Cup, um, something that's been around conceptually since the 1950s. Uh, it's been played either in its Arab Cup form or in the Pan-Arab Games forms about 20 times. Uh, so with me here to preview this and to kind of get you excited about not only the FIFA Arab Cup in 10 days time, but also the World Cup in a year's time is a panel of the Arab world's finest. Let's get them to introduce themselves. We will go from west to east, uh, starting with our man in Mesopotamia. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited to do this uh, with you guys. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's something really exciting to sit and uh, be part of this new cup that is now FIFA recognized. And it shows you that a, a lot of uh, a lot of publicity and a lot of effort has gone into making this tournament something something big. So um, a little bit about me. My name is Hassanen Bilal. Uh, I host a, um, a channel and a, a YouTube podcast and, well, Spotify and Apple, uh, Apple podcast called Iraq Football Podcast. And I try to cover as much uh, news as I can, especially related to expat players, uh, Iraqi, that play all across the world. So that's, that's my specialism, really. And um, I have very good links to a lot of people in the, in the Iraqi national team. And I'll be just sharing my thoughts on what I think is going to happen during the next couple of weeks. Great. So continuing on, uh, we've got FA Lebanon with us. Uh, Maron, uh, let us know where people can find you and what your uh, platform is all about. Hello. Uh, we can find us on all social media, basically, on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, what we do is we try to cover the league, the national team, as much as we can, from news, graphics, and so on. And also, we're trying to create uh, the, a full archives, uh, statistical archive of the Lebanese football uh, since the 1930s, since its inception until now. Okay, thanks for that. And last but definitely not least, we have um, a member of the Blue Check Gang on Twitter. Uh, so obviously, we are a legit show because we have somebody of this gravitas with us. Uh, Maher, introduce yourself. Tell us what you're all about. Uh, hey, everyone. My name is Maher Mizahi. I'm an Algerian journalist uh, based out of Algiers, and I cover uh, African football in general um, for various companies. Uh, mostly, Most of my work is with the BBC, however, across all platforms. Uh, very, very happy to be with all of you. Great. And I guess that just leaves me, uh, your host for today. My name is Basil. You might know me as Football Palestine out on the interwebs, mostly on Twitter, but we also have a Facebook and Instagram account. Uh, I try and publish articles about the Palestinian national team, our players playing abroad, the local league, the um, very entertaining and ongoing uh, story about hilarious uh, ineptitude and corruption going on in our FA. But I try and keep things light. Uh, if you want to give me a follow, that's at Football Palestine uh, with the Spanish spelling, or you can just access our website at footballpalestine.com with the uh, English spelling. Uh, or you can follow me on my uh, personal Twitter account where I talk about um, football in a more 
broad and global sense. Um, so not to dwell on it too much, I want to get right into this um, to talk a little bit about the history, right? Because this is uh, the first time in 10 years almost that we uh, get an Arab Cup. Uh, it's great that FIFA stepped in because, well, you know, the Arab federations seem to kind of forget about this tournament and forget to organize it even. Um, let's maybe start off uh, with Meher first. Uh, favorite Arab Cup or Pan-Arab Games uh, memory? Yeah, honestly, um, I remember very, very little about previous editions. I vaguely remember the 2012 one where um, I believe it was Morocco that won the competition. And uh, they had like a lot of great, great player, local great players. Uh, when I say local, I mean those playing in the domestic league. Um, and many of them were the ones that had created a surprise at the Club World Cup uh, when Raja Casablanca made it to the to the final and finished as runners up. Um, um, so, so that's what I remember. I remember that edition. But for me, what's always made more of an impression, honestly, was the club edition of the of, the, of these Pan Arab Cups of these uh, Arab, the Arab Champions League of sorts, which have sort of been kind of been disc discontinued um, because of COVID. Um, but as in terms of national teams, I vaguely remember the 2012 edition and very little beyond that. So for me, this is the fact that FIFA stepped in and they've sort of patroned this co uh, competition. For me, it's kind of interesting and it kind of lets us start on a new new foot. And I'm wondering, um, are we going to start becoming a little more consistent with this? How often is it, is it a one-time thing because the World Cup is here or is this going to be more, more of a recurring event? I would love to see it be more of a recurring event. Um, the Arab world is, is, is a new place now. It's not like it was in the 1960s and 1970s. There are new uh, relationships, there are new ties, new, new cultures, new subcultures. So uh, for me, I'm, I'm really, really excited about this tournament. I've been to Qatar, I've seen uh, some of the infrastructure. It's really, really, really impressive. So I think it's going to be a great tournament. Great. Uh, Maron, any uh, special memories you have of Lebanon at, at the Arab Cup or uh, the Pan Arab Games? Uh, basically, my memory isn't something I've witnessed, obviously. Uh, but based on my work, I think my favorite one is 1963, the first one, because it was held in Lebanon. Uh, obviously, I haven't watched it uh, entirely. I didn't watch even clips, but working on it and uh, following uh, some of our legends uh, of that time, uh, forgotten legends. So, uh, it, we, it, I think Arguably, it's one of the best tournaments that Lebanon has ever played in, uh, the 1963 one. And uh, uh, yeah, that's why I think it's my favorite. Uh, Hassanen, look, I'm uh, not going to bury the lead here, but uh, Iraq is the most successful side in uh, Pan-Arab competition. Uh, they've won four Arab Cups and I believe a Pan-Arab Games as well to go with that. So there's no shortage of um, good memories you might have uh, to pick from. So let us know what, what are some of the memories you have from uh, previous editions? To be honest with you, um, given my age, I am quite young, I'm only 29. Um, th there's only so much crossover that's been between Iraq when we played in these cups, when we were doing quite well and uh, my lifespan. So in terms of actual like football that I've witnessed, it's next to nothing. But I know this cup holds a special place for Arabi football. And uh, I'm also excited that it's going to be really the first time I get to actually sit and watch this. So I'm, I'm very, very 
excited. I'm, I'm waiting for this to, to get started. Um, I was in Doha recently as well. Iraq, we play our home game there. Uh, so I was there for the um, the match against Syria. The, the, the game against Korea was in Doha as well. So I've seen um, what, what Doha has to offer. And, and I know that this tournament, inshallah, will be, will be amazing. So whilst I've not got that many memories, I know this place uh, is, is the right place to host such a, such a wonderful cup. And I'm, I'm excited to see, hopefully, Araf make it number five. But we'll discuss that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I think um, it's a pretty even slate. I think uh, we'll get to our predictions at the end of the show. Um, but I think there's quite a number of teams that could uh, lay claim to being one of the favorites to uh, win it and lift the trophy on December 18th. For me, um, yeah, I wish there were more of these types of Pan-Arab competitions, either in the form of the Pan-Arab Games or the, or the Arab Cup, because they seem to be the, the tournaments Palestine shows up to for, for whatever reason. Um, I think one of my earlier memories watching the national team was watching the 2002 Arab Cup, and it was... Um, when we debuted this kit that was in the uh, form of the Palestinian flag that looked absolutely fantastic. And it was also the first uh, major tournament for a lot of the players that we had recruited um, from Chile and other places in South America uh, that had Palestinian um, you know, heritage and came and played for the Palestinian national team. So I remember doing quite well. We played very expansive football. Um, we had five matches in that tournament. We drew four of them, uh, lost once. Uh, probably if we didn't keep throwing away leads, uh, we would have advanced and done something a little bit more in the 2002 edition, but always good memories because I think it was the first um, experience I got of a Palestinian side that played on the front foot and um, hoping to see uh, that type of team uh, play uh, in a couple of weeks time with the current crop of players for Palestine. So let's get into it with our groups. Uh, we'll start with group A, which um, kind of looks like a group that would be in the Gulf Cup because it has, um, well, four Gulf nations, uh, if you consider Iraq a Gulf nation. Uh, it's the host Qatar. Uh, Iraq, we mentioned, the most successful side in the tournament. Uh, Bahrain and Oman. So I think it makes sense to kick it over to Hassanin. Uh, let's start, we'll get to Iraq eventually, but let's start with the hosts. Are they the favorites to win it? I mean, they are Asian Cup champions. They did well at the Gold Cup. They've had a bit of a stumble here and there um, in some of their friendlies with European opposition, but they're on home soil. They've got their first team. Are they the favorites? It's a weird one. I think uh, Qatar on paper, uh, um, they, they might be favorites, but if we look at what's been happening recently uh, in terms of uh, the national team, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, I think... It doesn't help that they've not played many competitive games. I think people overlook this fact. Uh, the fact that they haven't played in, for example, the World Cup qualifiers and they've had automatic uh, qualification to the World Cup, I think this will be detrimental to them. Yes, they've been playing uh, in, in high-end friendlies against European teams, but you could argue this is a good experience, but at the same time, a friendly is always going to be a friendly. You know, it's not going to have the same intensity, the same uh, same purpose that a competitive game has. So it will be very interesting to see just how sharp these Qatari players are going to be. But at the same time, you know, you're playing against teams like Portugal, you're playing against big European countries. 
you would imagine that the lessons the Qatari players would have learned from from uh, these competitive or these difficult games, they would have probably learned a lot from it. And it will be very, very interesting to see how Qatar do against uh, Group A. But more importantly, I think to see how these guys do in the World Cup. Uh, I think it's, it's very exciting. And if I'm honest with you, they might not be Iraq, but I, I really do want to see uh, Qatar do well because um, I think it's it's a good look for us as Arabs to, to have the Arab countries go to the World Cup and show just what we can do on a global scale. So I'm, I'm fully behind Qatar and, and, and I wish that they, they do well in, in the coming World Cup. Uh, another one of our panel members that has some, some experience playing against uh, Qatar, uh, Maron, Lebanon opened up their Asian Cup uh, two years ago against uh, Qatar. They didn't do that great in that match and they just got, sort of got stronger as the tournament went on. Uh, what do you think about this Qatari side? Uh, do you think they have what it takes to um, not just get out of the group, but potentially win it on home soil? Uh, the, the Qatar side from the 2019 Asian Cup is so much different than the one that played in the Gold Cup just a couple of months back. Uh, I don't agree uh, completely with Hassan here because uh, I think Qatar are... Uh, Playing well, uh, the experience that they are getting from these friendlies uh, versus the European teams is uh, a lot. It's very good. Uh, Lebanon made the same process in the 90s, playing against uh, the likes of Slovakia and Ecuador just to gain uh, experience enough for the uh, 2000 Arab Cup. So, uh, uh, Qatar are doing it a lot more uh, uh, effectively. So I think, uh, yes, they are uh, one of the favorites uh, to win the uh, Arab Cup, especially it's on home soil also. And I think there will be uh, a full stadiums, right? So uh, I would put Qatar up there uh, for them to win the, the group and the championship eventually. Can I, can I just add, though, it's, it's not that I don't think that the, what they're doing is not right. I just think that, obviously, they're going to gain a lot of experience playing against European teams, and this will only benefit them. But I just question how uh, Qatar will cope having not played a competitive game in such a long time. I think playing competitive football is the best, most effective way to make sure the players are 100%. And, you know, you could play whoever you want, but a friendly will always be a friendly. It doesn't matter if it's Portugal, it doesn't matter if it's um, Slovakia. That's just, I, I, I personally think the lack of competitive football they've played might come back to bite them. But that's my opinion. I guess yeah, you're not, not counting the Gold uh, Cup as a, as a competitive fixture then, or, or the, even the Copa America they played a couple of years back. Yeah, yeah, of course. But like, how long ago was that? World Cup was only this past summer. It was only a couple couple months ago. Um, it seems like a long time ago. It would have been what June or July, I think. Yeah, so it's, okay, let's go with that. Right, that means they've not played competitive football in five months. That's a long time. You know, um, but then again, like I'm not taking anything away from Qatar. They are a very good quality team, um, and I'm not saying they're not going to do well. I fully expect them to come top of this group, or, or at least qualify. But 
what what happens when they play against the likes of Algeria in, in the latter stages, the likes of Morocco or whoever, Saudi Arabia, that they qualify. I think at that point, you will see the importance of playing regular competitive football. And I, I think in the long run, the last stages, I'd imagine that the lack of competitive football will be a factor. I kind of see where Hassan is coming from because, yeah, five months ago, in some ways, doesn't seem like a very long time, but in others, when other national teams are playing competitive qualifying matches, you know, almost every month, I kind of get that. However, one, one thing with the Qatari team that kind of sort of always catches my eyes, how experienced their squad is. I mean, this has been a group that's been playing together for the better part of a decade now. If you look at how many players have more than 50, 60 caps, it's really, really impressive. So I think that might help them in terms of familiarity. They know each other. And I think the more experienced the side is like in that term, in, in that way, um, the, the easier it is for them to, to sort of uh, be up for it when, when the big occasion comes. Also, there's one thing that all the top teams, if you want to call them in the Arab Cup, uh, their players aren't experienced and they haven't played competitive international games uh, for the most of them like algeria are sending their uh, their domestic league uh, national team saudi arabia are sending their olympic team uh, egypt i think they're uh, they're only sending their uh, local teams so in terms of experience and competitiveness i think the edge is with qatar not against them uh, versus these types of uh, national teams yeah, I, I completely see where you're coming from. Um, with Iraq, our squad list as of right now, so in the way time 2.30 um, today, it's not been released. And I'm not too sure with the other countries whether they've released their squads or not. But um, I think once we see the full squads of all the teams, we'll have a better idea of uh, who's favourites and who's, who's likely to be who. All right, let's let's move on because I think yeah, uh, one of the things we're going to have some uh, difficulty handicapping is we know the preliminary squads, so like the thirty-five man list, but we don't know, and I'm not even sure if it's going to be a twenty-three man squad or something like a twenty-five or twenty-six man squad, like they had. Like, Iraq don't like this is how this is how this organized it is with with our national team. Even the preliminary squad, I have no idea. Like I speak to a lot of what well, all the expat players. And I'm seeing reports that, like, for example, Jinwan Hamad will be called up to the final squad. Jinwan hasn't heard from anybody within the FA. Justin Muram, who I spoke to today, this morning, again, another name touted that he will be there. No contact with the FA. So maybe, maybe, um, like, you guys have a better idea of what's happening. I am, like, me and the players themselves are waiting to see their official list. <laughs> so it's not good. I think we're all used to like tardiness and, and bad paperwork, but that's most of us, at least I have an idea, like a provisional spot. You guys are a little bit late with that. But will, will Iraq be donning these, uh, the, the beautiful kit that you're wearing? So this kit was apparently made for the Arab Cup. And then I see rumors saying that, no, they will not be wearing it. So we'll wait and see, but hey, it looks good. So I'm not too fast. Definitely winning the award for, for best dressed team, uh, even before a uh, was kicked. Uh, let's move on to some other teams in uh, Group A. Bahrain's a weird one, right? Because I felt like they are probably the side in Asia and in the Arab world in general that was the 
uh, worst impacted by COVID because they had an amazing 2019. They just went from strength to strength. Um, they won the uh, West Asian Football Federation Championship in Iraq against Iraq to sort of start the competitive uh, cycle, the new competitive cycle. Uh, then they followed that up by going top of their group. And it was a group that included Iraq and Iran, and they got results against both those sides. And then they followed that up by winning the Gulf Cup. And then COVID hit and they had a centralized venue for qualifying and then something happened and they're not in the final 12 of Asian um, World Cup qualifying. Hassan, what can you tell us about them? Are they going to find that 2019 form or is that just, you know, a flash in the pan that's just never going to come back? I, I don't know, to be honest with you, but I'll tell you one thing about Bahrain that I really, really like. Like on paper, you look at the individual players and none of them really stand out as incredible talents, but they are a very well-organized, well-run uh, machine. And the, the manager has a very good idea of how he wants the team to play and he plays to the team's strengths. They're, they're very organized defensively. They're hard to break down. If you look at like the Iraq games against Bahrain, I think the last five or six games have all ended like 1-1, no nil It's very, very tight cagey draws. Um, they've beat us on one occasion. I think it was on penalties when we lost that final. But um, they're they're a good, well uh, well run machine, and they play to their advantage. So it's I think it's going to be very interesting seeing how this group unfolds. You have you have Qatar, who's a very good team. You have Bahrain, who know how to hold their own, and then we'll we'll come to Arab and Oman um, in a bit as well. I think that that's kind of you could use that description to describe the Almani side. Also, not exactly, a lot of yeah. our players, right? But a team that knows what its strengths are, makes life difficult uh, for the opposition. And you know, I think probably, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe Lebanon is happy with what's happened so far in round three of Asian World Cup qualifying. But I think probably the only Arab side, other than Saudi Arabia, that can really be happy with what they've done so far in World Cup qualifying, because you know, nobody really gave them a shot and they are right in there for the mix of getting at least the playoff spot in the more difficult group, right? In the group that has Saudi Arabia and Australia and Japan, which, you know, should have been at least on paper, the three that qualify um, or the two that qualify directly and the third in the playoff spot. Uh, does anyone have any idea of what do we expect of Oman? Can they spring that surprise? Because I think conventional wisdom says, Qatar, Iraq, in, in one of those orders, either 1-2 or 2-1. Uh, can they spoil the party here? What do we think? I mean, <laughs> as an Iraqi, I fully expect them to put up a, a big, big challenge to, to the group. And I, I would not be shocked if the two teams that do go through are Oman and Qatar. Now, again, I, sp I spoke about Bahrain being a well-run uh, machine. Oman very much fit the mold of this. Again, you look at like individual players, no one really stands out as like, oh, this player is incredible talent. He plays in the top league or anything like that. But uh, when you have a manager that plays to the team's strengths, when you have a manager that knows how to um, limit the weaknesses of his teams, exploit the strengths, you end up with a team like Oman, uh, like Bahrain to a certain degree, where you can pin them against difficult competitors and still see them perform to, to a somewhat good, uh, good standard. We saw Oman get a big, big win the other day, uh, last minute. I think it was against Japan, wasn't it, when, when they scored and they, they took all three points. 
So like, I, I don't think Oman should be uh, overlooked. Uh, I think that they deserve a lot of respect by uh, everyone in Group A. And in a way, that's why I'm excited for Group A. Um, I really think this can swing left, right or centre. Uh, um, and I think a big, big factor is based on which Iraqi team turns up. Because, yeah, well, we'll look at Iraq and, uh, when you guys are ready. <laughs> Just before we get to that, uh, anybody else with thoughts on the other two teams in this group, Oman and Bahrain? Obviously, 16 teams in this tournament. We want to try and give everyone uh, their due and respect all 16 participants. So, um, Maher or Maron, uh, any thoughts on these two sides? I've watched uh, Oman, I think, versus Qatar in the second round of World Cup qualifiers. And they actually caught my eye. They were good. Uh, and they were winning at some point in the game. So uh, I think they can have a shot for qualifiers for, uh, to qualify for the second round of the Arab Cup. Uh, I wouldn't cross them out. Yeah, I haven't honestly haven't watched enough of Oman to to be making uh, an infor to have an informed opinion. So I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from doing that at the moment. All right. Well, I know Hassan is itching to talk about the Iraqi national team and their prospects. Um, what do we think? Is this going to be a tonic for uh, the Iraqis, or is it just going to be another chapter in the sort of Miserable reign of Dick Advocate. Uh, well, where do I start? This is the. If we had this conversation a couple of hours from now and I knew what the squad list looked like, maybe I could give you a more informed decision. But this really can go one of either way. There's talks of a lot of uh, senior players being dropped. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys know much about Arafi football. Uh, we have players like Ali Adnan, Ahmed Ibrahim. Um, we have the generation of what we call them the Hakim Shakir era. This is the Iraq team in 2013 that finished fourth in the uh, the World Cup under 20s. Uh, obviously, notoriously, this generation of players had a lot of overaged uh, players, uh, including the likes of Ali Adnan, Dorham Ismail, Safa Hadi. Uh, well, Safa wasn't there, but Dorham Ismail. Um, Mohamed Abdurrahim and many others. Now, um, Dick Advocate, for all his criticisms, he's been gradually kind of removing these guys and bringing in fresh young players who are of real age and uh, exciting opponents. But what he's really struggled to do is to incorporate the expat players in a way that's meaningful. So for the first time ever in Arab's history, this last round of qualifiers, we saw uh, six expats all feature in, in, in the Arab squad. So we had uh, Ali Al-Hamadi over from uh, Wickham Wanderers. We had um, Jilwan from Sweden. We had Rabin Sulaqa from Thailand, Amir Al-Amari, Wanda Jaz, um, and Fra uh, both from Sweden. And we had Franz Botros. Up until the last month, there had always been a cap of maximum four expats in, in the national team. But there's rumors and we'll find out very soon once the once the team gets leaked or published, I should say, that there are going to be a, a plethora of more expat talents. If this come, if this does actually happen, then it's an exciting time because you're going to have a, a wide range of players based on European style of football, and to see them all play together, well, I think I think we'll do very very well. 
Um, the problem is obviously like these players, they, they need time to bond, they need time to gel. And it's very difficult throwing players into just, hey, go, yalla, good luck. And I don't think football works in that, that way. But at the same time, I feel the results of this will be significantly better than trying to incorporate one or two or three expats in a team made of entire local players. And generally, the Iraqi local players are very, very outdated and orthodox in their style of play. They play the long ball. They don't really cope particularly well under pressure. Tactically, they're, they're very poor. Um, and it means that when the expats come in, they suffer as a result of, of this lack of tactics, lack of tactical awareness in terms of when to play the right pass, how to cope with the pressure of playing. Um, if you guys really want to understand the kind of the, the problems in Iraqi football and the, the, uh, the issues that advocate is facing and that he is also part of the problem of, please go on my YouTube channel, go, go on my social medias, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, at Iraq Football Pod, and you'll find my interview with Justin Miram. It's about an hour uh, and a bit long. And it's unbelievable analysis from uh, from Justin, where he just breaks down everything wrong with Iraqi football. So it's it's a bit of a weird one. Like I, I really think if we stay the way we are right now, a few expats sprinkled in amongst the existing players, it, it, this is not really going to be a good tournament for Iraq. If we actually bring in fresh expats, as it's rumored to be the case, and a bunch of young players from the Olympic team. And the Olympic team are very, very, very promising. You have players like Muntadar, Hassan Jabbar, you have like uh, Ahmed Sirtib. These, these are players that are of real age for once, uh, and they have shown that they, they really do possess high qualities. So we need to wait and see. It can really go either way. I can see Arak qualifying, beating the likes of Bahrain, maybe nicking a, a draw against uh, Oman, and maybe even getting a draw against Qatar and going through a second, for example. But I would not be surprised whatsoever if I also saw Arak play in this tournament, maybe get one or two points tops. So it's, it's a weird one. Yeah, uh, well, listen, I will say this. We are going to plug that interview in the description below. I watched the interview you did with Justin Miram uh, last night. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic insight from him. From a guy who's a true gentleman, I had the opportunity to meet him at the 2015 Asian Cup. Just a really nice guy and a great footballer as well. Um, so fun facts and trivia for you. I've crunched the numbers. Iraq and Qatar have never exited at a group stage of a tournament. So we'll get our predictions at the end of the show, but something to consider um, as we go through the group. So moving on, we'll go to group B. That is a nicely balanced geographic group. We have uh, Tunisia, Mauritania, two African sides alongside two Asian sides, Syria and UAE. So I want to bring Mahir in and I actually want to focus on the team that gets maybe the least coverage out of the 16 teams here. I want to talk about Mauritania. And if you are a fan of Mauritania, I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts? Let us know in the comments below. Uh, but for now, we're going to get the thoughts of our uh, North African football expert. Matter, take it away. Yeah, Mauritania is an interesting one. Um, you know, for most of my life growing up, unfortunately, they were kind of irrelevant when it comes to African football. 
Um, but very throughout the, the last decade, really, 2010s to 2020, we saw really notable progression being made. And FIFA actually points to Mauritania as uh, one of the federations that have really good governance. The fact that, despite the fact that they might not have as many means as other federations, but um, if you go to, if you go and see what the, the Mauritanian Federation has done, and their, their Federation president is now uh, CAF Vice President, Ahmed Yahya, um, the money that they've used from these FIFA forward programs, you know, these goal programs, they've invested it very wisely. And they've more than, for example, tripled the amount of stadiums that they had that were up to international standards. Uh, they've structured their league. So now you have a first, second and an amateur division, whereas before it was just like a bunch of teams sporadically located a little bit everywhere that play, play against each other once in a while. So, so under really the leadership of Ahmed Yahya, who is uh, an infantino uh, confidant and uh, and who is somebody that's actually become quite influential in the Confederation of African Football. Mauritania have done a good job of not only developing infrastructure, but also bringing in some of the, uh, the expats, so I guess we can call them, um, who are sometimes uh, based in France. For uh, what's interesting now about Mauritania is that they had one coach for the last, I believe it was seven years, Corentin Martins, who's a, a very famous former French international who played in the 1980s. Under Martins, they were um, very defensive. Uh, they would be a team that usually does not beat you more than 1-0, but also would not lose more than 1-0 to it. A very ne almost negative style of play, but they shut down any spaces. They have some very, very big defenders. Uh, like I think of Adama Ba, who's probably the tallest defender I've ever seen in, in, in real life playing football. Um, so, the, but he's kind of slow as well. And for me, he really encapsulates that Mauritanian style of play where uh, for me, they're like a rigid block, they defend together, and then they'll maybe go up on a set piece together and try to knock one in with their heads. So, so it's interesting now that he's gone. Um, he failed in, in World Cup qualifying. They finished last of their group. And they've brought in Didier Gomez, who's known around Africa. He sort of bounced around in Sudan and Algeria, a little bit everywhere. Um, but he's not really known to be really inspiring uh, coach we don't expect too too much of him so it's really curious to see like how he's going to take this Mauritanian national team he was just hired uh, a few days ago is he going to have time to really put in place a proper system a proper philosophy and take that to Qatar or no I, I don't know but um, they're going to be difficult to beat whatever the case may be it's like one of these bogey teams that you might have to worry that you think are going to be rollovers, but you end up drawing nil-nil or one-one against. So, so it's definitely a team to watch out for, but because of the instability and because of the negative recent results, I don't expect them really to, to make a push and maybe qualify from this group. Uh, all right, so that's the take on Mauritania. I think they're a very interesting side, difficult to handicap. What I'd like to do now is instead of doing the logical thing and talking about the other North African side in this group, I want to talk about Syria, which is, I think, a really fun side to talk about because what a soap opera this team is. I mean, there is never a dull moment with the Syrian national team. Uh, I enjoy watching them. I think they've got some fantastic players. Uh, it's just they, it seems like they can't get out of their own way. Um, let's go to Maron. You, you obviously have played against them. Uh, at World Cup qualifying, that was the first uh, win an Arab side recorded, uh, other than Saudi Arabia, of course. So the first win out of all the Group A teams from the Arab sides was recorded. Lebanon beating Syria in a very, very entertaining match. Um, what do you see from their perspective? I know they just made a coaching change. Um, Nizar Mahrous 
leaving the side and uh, remaining coming in, uh, Valerio Tsitsa. Uh, what series, which series is going to show up? Is it going to be the one that we all sort of fell in love with during the last World Cup qualifying campaign? Or is it going to be this dysfunctional soap opera of the, of the team? Uh, Tita Valero, the new coach uh, of the Syrian team, uh, has uh, found a lot of success in nearby uh, uh, countries. Even in Lebanon, I think they, he led uh, Safa and Nijmi. And one of them uh, reached the AFC Cup uh, final uh, in 2008, I think, Safa. So, uh, and he also has uh, a previous uh, experience with the Syrian national team, I think around 2011 or something like that. So, uh, Tita, Tita Valero would be a huge plus for the national team. Uh, I don't think it's a problem of players for Syria. I think it's a problem of stability from the FA. Uh, and I, actually, the FA has resigned just before uh, uh, Mahrouz has, uh, was uh, uh, sacked. So uh, it's a good sign, I think. And now, uh, now the players want to prove themselves uh, them for the fans. And I think uh, that Syria should not be overguarded in this uh, group. Uh, I think they can be a good side. Uh, they just need some uh, uh, tactical uh, balance uh, or uh, something like that from the coach. And I think uh, it would be a, a great step for them to even do well in the World Cup qualifiers after the Arab Cup. So uh, hopefully they can find their charm back. Of course, the other uh, team that is in that Group A Asian World Cup qualifying group, uh, four Arab teams in there, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, UAE. UAE is also in this Group B alongside Syria, Mauritania, and Tunisia. Uh, a man who I think has seen uh, the Emiratis play in person. I think you were at that match, uh, I believe it was in Dubai, uh, ended 2-2 between Iraq and UAE. Another side that I think they think of themselves as the semifinalists or the third place team actually from the 2015 Asian Cup and the semifinalists from the 2019 Asian Cup. But every single time I've seen them play over the last two years, they just sort of strike me as another West Asian side. Um, am I wrong? So um, I don't know if you guys were following my... Um my tweets following that game but um i was waiting for one of the players after the match um called emir Lamari, and just gonna say goodbye to him before he flies back home to sweden and outside of the stadium uh there were the uae fans and uh, some few like 10 Arabi fans waiting to you would have thought to greet the team but it was a very catastrophic performance from both sides and Arabi fans were not happy the uae fans were not happy and it was very interesting to see the, the response of the Emirati fans as, as the Emirati team walked towards the bus. The fans, when they saw the plays, they started cheering and it was real love and affinity towards the, the national team. When the coaching staff made their way to their coach, it turned into a chorus of just pure boos and uh, hurling abuse and all sorts. So um, I think the Emirati fans themselves know what is happening right now in um, in the world of Emirati football, it's not good enough. And the, the fans are demanding more. 
but a lot needs to change. You know, that game, it could have finished 3-2 to Imarad if it wasn't for a late, late, late VAR decision. But they they didn't play particularly well. Iraq also looked very, very poor, but we, we brought in Emir with 25 minutes to go and we were losing. And he single-handedly dismantled that UAE side and really exposed the flaws in, in their, their defence, in their midfield, and it makes you wonder how they're going to cope against a very good Tunis side. Um, I think, I, I predict that this will be a, uh, a wake-up call to some of these West Asian teams, uh, depending on, on who, who Tunis field. I think the gulf between African teams and a lot of Asian teams is monstrous. Uh, and I think going into this tournament, if the, if the African teams are up for it and they really do play to their full potential, um, the, the likes of Syria, the likes of uh, UAE, they are going to very, very struggle, very much struggle with the tactical quality of these African teams, especially the North African teams. The, the, the tactical aspects of, of these teams, the, the quality on the ball, the speed and intensity at which they play. Um, I, I can't see this... Um, being an easy group for Emirat or Surya. And to be honest with you, uh, it sounds like Mauritania will be able to, to bully these two teams if they, if they really are as, as, um, as solid in terms of defensive shape, in terms of um, taking advantage of set pieces. I can very much see Surya very, very, uh, having a very, very difficult time. And the same thing with UAE, because on, on, uh, in terms of like set pieces, you bring in some of these big um, Mauritania defenders, I, I could see them winning this 1-0 very easily. So I think this group is very much open. Yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment too. I think, you know, I mentioned in Group A, you have Bahrain for whom COVID just came at the really wrong time and stopped their momentum. I think the Emiratis owe the pandemic a huge, huge thank you because uh, they struggled in an easy group. You know, they're the second round, they were grouped with four Southeast Asian sides. And for people who don't know Asian football, Southeast Asia is not home to the greatest football. And they had Thailand, Malaysia, uh, Indonesia, and Vietnam in that group. And they fired Van Marwijk, cycled through, I think, two or three coaches in 2020, bought back Van Marwijk, and were lucky enough to host the final four games in Dubai on home soil. And that really helped them kind of get over the top. But I think what we've seen here is a side that is lucky really to be in the, in the final uh, stages of World Cup qualifying. Maybe this will be a tonic for them, um, but I don't think the signs are very good. And when you go out and you naturalize two Brazilians and how old is Sebastian Taylaveu? He's like 50, like yeah, he's, at, he's pushing 40 for sure. Uh, he's an old guy. If that is your solution, then obviously the signs aren't good. Um, but without further ado, I think the marquee team here, although they're the sort of the North African side that doesn't get as much credit as the other North African sides, Tunisia. Uh, what do we think of the Carthage Eagles? Matt, take it away. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with, honestly. For me, they'll be one of the favorites of this competition. Um, unlike Morocco and Algeria, Tunisia's real heart and their base, uh, even if they no longer sometimes play in the Tunisian league, they are at least produced 
in that Tunisian league from those Tunisian clubs. Uh, whereas Morocco and Algeria can call on the likes of Riyad Mahrez or Hakim Ziyech, who are usually formed somewhere in Europe and then come play uh, for their team of origin, we can say. So th this Tunisian uh, national team, again, even if they're a little bit splattered, a little bit all over the place now, sometimes, most of the time they've come up together. They've played in the same youth national teams. They've played against one another. They're very familiar with one another. And that's one of the things that, <laughs> honestly, as a, as a neutral, that always like struck me about the Tunisian national team was... I remember in 2018, before the World Cup, we went to go do a, a documentary with Sky Sports about the Tunisian League. And we went to go watch a match that was uh, Nijma Sahli against uh, Taraji Tunti, uh, which is like, they call the Tunisian Classical, uh, Etoile du Sahel against Esperance de Tunis. And um, I was, what really struck me, I, I've, I'm used to intense atmospheres and intimidating atmospheres in North Africa and, you know, like violence, all of that. But the intensity of the hatred between those two clubs and between the supporters, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And it even spilled onto the pitch. So the match was interrupted in, I think, the 88th minute because there were projectiles and rocks and everything like starting to come in through the, the, the stands. And we had to run into the tunnel. And as I was in the tunnel, the players also ran in the refs. And then there was a brawl inside of the tunnel that nobody else saw between the players. So and in my head, I'm thinking, you know, these the teams, the players from these two teams, in a few months' time, are going to be playing on the same national team. They make up probably 80% of the starting lineup. And they're going to be playing in the same national team that's going to go and defend the Tunisian colors. And I think really that that's really the, the real adjective that defines the Tunisian national team. They call it grinta. And it's really like grit or toughness, intensity. And you're going to find that in, in within these Tunisian players. So uh, besides all of that, they have fantastic players. For me, Ali Maloul is probably going to be the le best left back in this tournament. He plays for Al-Ahli uh, in Egypt. Um, you have a lot of experience. So Ali, uh, sorry, Ayman Abdel Noor, who played at the likes of Valencia. Uh, now he's playing at Umslal in Qatar. You have Farouk Bin Mustafa, who's a starting goalkeeper for the Tunisian national team. Yassine Meriah. Honestly, like 80% of the starting uh, national team is going to be playing in this tournament, whereas that's not the case necessarily with Morocco and Algeria. So that's really going to make be one of Tunisia's strengths. And to add, uh, I don't know, to, to give them even more credence and more credibility, the coach, Mundar Kbeir, is the same coach as the Tunisian national team. Whereas, again, that's not the case for Morocco uh, and Algeria. So this team is, for me, is the Carthaginians are going to be definitely a force to be reckoned with. Uh, they have experienced players, talented players, players that are uh, showcase players in Qatar, like Yusuf Msekni. Yusuf Msekni, in 2012-2013, was being talked about as maybe going to Paris Saint-Germain, becoming the first Arab superstar under QSI. And eventually he just goes to Qatar instead. And he's been there for the better part of a decade now. And he's a showcase player for the QSL. So players like that are going to feel at home and maybe feel extra responsibility on their shoulders. And they're even going to have uh, probably the youngest exciting talent, or sorry, the most exciting young talent at this tournament, Hannibal Mejbri, who's uh, one of the best players at, in the Manchester United youth ranks. He's only 18 years old. Um, and Tunisia managed to convince him to come represent the Carthaginians. So he's definitely one to look out for. A really exciting attacking midfielder, left-footed, uh, who can sort of drift across the attacking line and create uh, create goals. So for me, a wonderful mix of youth and experience. Uh, pretty much the same national team that qualifies with ease in Africa. And uh, for me, definitely one of the favorites of this tournament. Mahar, can I, can I ask you, because um, I'm a massive, massive United fan. And um, a couple of days ago, I spoke, two days ago, I spoke to Zidane Akbal, who's also uh, Mejbari's teammate, and he's, a, he's a, one of the best talents at United um, at youth level. 
And Zidane told me, listen, the Araki fans are going to be very, very upset that Medjibar is going and I'm not because Zidane is currently injured, unfortunately. Um, how is it that Tunis managed to convince him to, to represent you guys? Oh, well, Tunis, sorry. So, what? so uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. But basically, um, it's, it's interesting because these North African teams, they usually put in place a policy to try and poach these talents that you can find in Europe. And there's really two ways of doing it. Morocco does it one way where they recruit scouts and they'll have scouts in each country. They'll have a scout in Spain. They'll have a scout in Holland. They'll have a scout in France. And they're really responsible for uh, really keeping an eye on the under 23 uh, level talents and approaching them to maybe come play for the Moroccan youth national teams. And in some cases, the Moroccan senior national teams. And that was the case with, for example, Ashraf Hakimi and even Ismail bin Nasser, uh, who plays at uh, AC Milan. Uh, he was supposed to um, come play for Morocco, but then Algeria convinced him at the last minute. Algeria's policy has always been sort of uh, bribe him with money. Come play for Algeria and we'll give you, um, we have a, a telecom company called Mobilis. We'll give you a, a massive contract uh, with, with them for image rights and you'll have your, you know, your, billboards everywhere and you'll, you'll well, sometimes it, they've even been given apartments and, and things like that so Tunisia what they've done is and I can't believe I'm forgetting his name but he's uh he's come in in the last uh year um and he's really uh done a great job of convincing a lot of different Tunisian younger talents of and this was his sole his whole job with the Tunisian Federation is to go and convince these players and he went and he met with Mejbri and he promised him playing time uh, promised that he's going to be called up and if they go to the World Cup, he's going to have a place at the World Cup. And um, that's how they managed to convince him, honestly. And it's Mohamed Slim. I don't, it's not Ben Ashur. I, I just have to look up his name. Sorry. Um, this I can't is believe I'm talking. Mohamed Slim Ben Uthman. Sorry. Mohamed Slim Ben Uthman. That's his name. And his sole job with the Federation is going and convincing these players. And it's not just the North African teams that do this. Also, Mali have the same thing with former international Husseini Diawara. His job is to go and literally convince these foreigners to come play, not foreigners, apologies, foreign-based players to come play for their national teams of origin. The, re the reason I ask is because for, like I said, Iraq, we, we have so many talented expats uh, all across the world right now, but you see countries like these North, North African sides, like Algeria, like Tunis, and they've placed so much effort and emphasis in terms of actively finding these players, actively bringing them to the national team. And then you compare that to Iraq, where we actually actively go to war with these players and make sure that they don't want to represent Iraq and they don't get a fair chance. And um, the only reason anyone knows these players is because of accounts that are based on social media, like Iraqi pro players, like mine, like a few others. And I mean, the word is tahalluf in terms of Arabic, like it's so backwards in terms of our mentality. So it's, it's just very depressing but intriguing to hear how things uh, operate in, um, in in North Africa. The one thing I'd say, and just to briefly wrap this up, because I think we maybe spent a little too much time on Tunisia and Bess is uh, panicking or something, is uh, <laughs> uh, usually how this, this, this really comes with, it's really a two-way thing. Number one, like you said, the Federation has to be proactive and they really have to go after these players, which is, I guess, a problem in up. but also results. Once you have results, once Algeria had a very tough time convincing people to come play for Algeria in the 1990s and the early 2000s. But once you start going to a World Cup or two and you start consistently qualifying for the Africa Cup of Nations, people see it as a credible alternative. Okay, maybe I don't have to go play for France. Maybe I can go be a superstar in Algeria. So I think it's a really a, a double-edged sword.
Sorry, Besson. No worries, no worries. We're all here for, for the data show, for the discussion. Um, let's sort of put a cap on group B. We'll obviously get back to our predictions of what we think are gonna happen. I think a couple of us are definitely on that Tunisia bandwagon. Uh, but I want to get to uh, Group C, not just because it's Palestine's group, but also because it's headlined by two teams that a lot of people see as favorites here, uh, Morocco and Saudi Arabia. And we've gotten um, actually the final 23-man squad for Saudi Arabia, which um, uh, people who were hoping to see Hervé Renard in his lovely pressed white shirt, um, see if you can get your tickets refunded because he's not coming. His... Um, let's say less handsome assistant will be uh, in charge of the team. Uh, and it's pretty much an under 23 squad. So I wanna ask the panel, um, you know, usually when, when they had the Confederations Cup, a lot of the teams, uh, definitely from, from North America, the focus was let's win our continental championship. Let's get to the Confederations Cup because then don't we not only get the elite competition one year out from the World Cup, but we also get the feel of the tournament, what the stadiums are like, what the hotels are like. So my question to the panel, um, and we'll go from west to east, do you think Saudi Arabia is missing an opportunity to send its first team, because the Saudi League isn't going to be playing at this time, they're on a break, are they missing an opportunity to kind of get the feel for a World Cup one year out? Or is it actually better to maybe send your under-23 team and find, you know, kind of the tail end of your squad, the last six, seven players that will make up the 23 or 25-man squad that will go to Qatar in a year's time? So I'll, I'll give it to you, Maher. Um, want to see what you think about this. Yeah, honestly, I think the, the best, for me, the best alternative is probably somewhere, something in the middle. If you have, you know, any players that are, have any nagging injuries that are very experienced that don't need to play in this tournament, uh, you can let them stay at home. But for me, it's not a great idea to just send youth players as well. Uh, a good mix, I think, would probably be best, not only for being competitive in this tournament, but also, like you said, actually prepping the, your national team to, to go on and, and play important fixtures in the future. Um, and this is something that we've seen with a lot of North African teams. Morocco, who we're going to speak about in just a moment, uh, Algeria, Tunisia, they've been sending, um, they can't call on the players from Europe. So this is not going to be full strength national teams, but they've been sending uh, very, very strong local young teams. And usually you can find uh, one or two or three or four older players that are playing in the, in, in the MENA region that can play in this tournament as well. So I think for me that, I, I think maybe Saudi Arabia might be missing out, but at the same time, uh, there's still a lot of time before the next World Cup. We still have 12 months, so um, it's not the end of the world. Uh, Marwan, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't think they're really missing out because the players, uh, most of them have played in Qatar before. They know the atmosphere. They know everything about it. And e either at club level or at national team level. Um, also, uh, maybe... You could he could have sent some of the experienced players, but he sent the under twenty three for a reason because uh, they, they need to get the international experience that that they can get in order to be good enough to get into a strong team like Saudi Arabia. It's not like uh, with uh, smaller countries like let's say Lebanon. They don't really need to send the under twenty three players because the competition isn't as tough as it, it is at Saudi Arabia national team, let's suppose. So uh, I don't really think it's the negative 
to send the Olympic team to the Arab Cup. But uh, yeah, it could diminish their uh, hopes to get the title. But I don't think the FA really thinks about that. Yeah, before I throw it to uh, Hassanin with his thoughts on this decision, just to recap, it is by my count, six uh, players in the squad have played for the, the senior national team before. They are uh, Saud Abdul Hamid, he's got nine caps. Eamon Yahya, he has three caps. Uh, Firas Al Burkain has uh, 15 caps at five goals. Abdullah Hamdan has 14 caps, four goals. Uh, Turk Al Ammar, four caps. And um, the backup goalkeeper who will be the first choice. Uh, Yami, who has four caps and started the last two qualifiers uh, for Saudi Arabia. So a little bit of experience, but mostly a lot of inexperience. Hassanin, what are your thoughts? Is this a little disrespectful to the other teams in Group C? No, if anything, I really, really, um, I think envy is the right word. I'm really envious of Saudi Arabia and the way they operate, uh, the way they, they respect their national team, the way they built a league that can produce the talents it has without doing what the likes of Emirat and Qatar do and like nationalizing these randomers is just as a core of very solid uh, Saudi players. And um, they, they stand out from all the other Arab teams. And for me, this is something that we need to respect. And they are, as we mentioned earlier, in a very tough, tough Group B uh, for the World Cup qualifiers. They've put themselves in a very solid position. Um, some would argue that they're favourites to even make it to the next round ahead of uh, the likes of Australia and Japan. So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, no disrespect to, to the rest of us, but it doesn't really matter that the Arab Cup compared to qualifying for the World Cup, you know? We say, say we won the Arab Cup. Would I trade that Cup for World Cup qualification for Qatar 2020? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not even a question. Um, everyone wants to be um, at the, the biggest stage of world football. So should, should Saudi sacrifice maybe getting injuries, picking up uh, like fatigue in their players and making uh, risking losing and falling out of form? These are all issues that Saudi would face if, if things don't go as planned. So I, I completely understand the, the reason why they might uh, rest some of these players, why they're giving an opportunity to some of the younger players to come in, play in this tournament, see, all right, the under-23s, who else can bring something new to their existing squad, maybe has a chance of um, pushing into, into the final squad for the World Cup. I rate this. If anything, I, I respect Saudi a lot. And like I said, I wish Iraq were in a position to do something similar. Yeah, I think my part of me is kind of cynical. I think uh, Hervé Renard wants a, a nice little Christmas break, and that's why he's not with the squad. Uh, the squad makeup, I can see why they're doing it. I could see both sides of the argument. I think uh, Matt had mentioned you probably want to go for a mix, and maybe if I was the decision maker, I would have done a bit more mixing of, of some senior team players that maybe are on the fringe a little bit there. Um that said, you know, I do think that they are in a deceptively tricky group because you're going to have, I think, a Jordan side that matches up really well uh, with them. Because if you look at Jordan, they've bought back uh, Adnan Hamad. They've sort of gone back to the future there. And the one thing, you know, remembering that 2014 World Cup qualification, the one thing Adnan Hamad's sides were really good at was hitting you on the counter. And what we know with what Hervé Renat has instilled in Saudi Arabia is they're a possession-based side, right? And that's going to play into the hands of Jordan 
really, really nicely. And it wouldn't surprise me if Jordan got a surprise to open up the tournament because that's kind of what that team is about, right? That team is all about, you know, not sexy players. Uh, nobody plays in any sort of big leagues. Their biggest player, Musa Tami, is not going to be there, but all their other first-choice players, to my knowledge, are going to be available. And, yeah, I can see it, you know, being successful. And, obviously, Mohamed, uh, since he's taken over in the friendlies they played, they have had some good results. Uh, the, the 3-0 against Uzbekistan stands out. The 2-0, although Kosovo outplayed them, also stands out. Um, so I think it might be tricky, um, just given the fact that, you know, also Morocco, which Mahed will fill us in as well, uh, is probably are probably favorites now to win this group. And then you have Palestine, who are definitely not going to make things easy for, for Saudi Arabia. And a lot of people will be thinking about the second game they played at, at qualifying. I don't want to get into why things went in that direction. Thankfully, they did. Palestine fired their coach. They've got a new coach. But if you go back to that first game in 2019 that was played in Palestine, Palestine should have won that game by multiple goals. It ended up being a 0-0 draw. So I think my, my thinking is Morocco wins this group. And then it's going to be an absolute dogfight between Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Palestine for that second place um, spot to get to the quarterfinals. Uh, Maher, fill us in. What do you think uh, the Atlas Lions are, are going to do in this group? Am I right to kind of make them uh, favorites to win the group? I don't know. I'm not sure about favorites, but they'll be, they'll be very strong. I expect them to qualify from the group. Um, so, so as we mentioned before, they're not going to, they're not going to be with Ashraf Hakimi. They're not going to be with Hakim Ziyech and, you know, the, the Moroccan superstars that we all see playing at the highest level in Europe. Um, they're not going to be with their coach, uh, Vahid Halilodzic, who is um, the Bosnian coach of, uh, I think he qualified Japan to the last World Cup and before that Algeria and before that the Ivory Coast. And now he's, I think, trying to make it four World Cups in a row that he qualifies a national team to. So he's really, really good. He's really, really disciplined. Instead, they have Hussein Amuta, who's somebody that knows Qatar well. I think he was the coach of Assad uh, for a while. Um, he also coached with Casablanca and won an African Champions League with them. And since then, he's been sort of drifting around the federation and he's taken charge of this. Uh, what we call in Algeria, we call it an it, we call it a prime, which is like it's a domestic team or we could say like a apostrophe. That's what we call it. So it's like it's basically a B team. Um, and they've been really, really good at the African level. Uh, with this kind of team. So we have a, an interesting competition uh, called the African Nations Championship, which is not the Africa Cup of Nations where Sadio Mane, Riyad Mahrez, and Mohamed Salah go play. No, uh, the African Nations Championship is like a, a competition where only players based on the African continent can play. And we play this competition in Africa every two years. And Morocco are two-time reigning champions. So 2020, they won. 2018, they won. Um, and really, the nucleus of those teams are going to be back here. Um, Sofiane Rahimi was the MVP of the last one. Now he's playing at Al Ain in the Emirates. Fantastic player with a fantastic footballing mind. For me, he's probably going to be my favorite player in this competition. You, you also have the likes of Adil Ila Hafidi. Um, you have uh, oh Bedr Banoun, uh, Ashraf Bin Sharqi, Walid Azaro. These are all players who have are capped at the national team level, are not necessarily starters anymore but who could definitely be part of uh, any like any Moroccan senior national team uh, match probably on the bench and make a, a real good contribution. They're really good players. Uh, again, cordoned off with a really good coach who I expect to do well. Um, but 
the only problem with Morocco really, I think, is well, at the at the senior national team level, they struggle to score goals. I wonder if they're gonna struggle here as well. Because the likes of like Ayub Al Kaabi, Ashraf bin Shirqi, Walid Azaro are usually like decent strikers at the African Nations Championship level, but not really with the senior national team. And I wonder how they're going to do against the likes of Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Palestine. Are they going to be also be able to score goals as well? Um, but you can expect Morocco to be combative, to be uh, tactically sound, and to be a, a real contender, again, not only in this group, but also for the rest of the tournament. Maha, can I ask, like, um, you talk about tactics and intensity, but... Do you think in terms of like physicality, there's going to be a big difference between the Arab sides and uh, Morocco? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I'm not too familiar with uh, Jordan and Palestine. Um, I would say that like, again, thinking about like Rahimi, Bin Sharqi, Azaro, uh, Badr Banun. Badr Banun is a little bit taller, but he's kind of skinny. They're not really like monsters, you know. Um, usually where I've seen a difference traditionally, um, when I've seen like a North African side play, usually like uh, aside from the golf or whatever, sometimes I see better conditioning, better physical conditioning where the North African players can run for, for longer. And usually I see some kind of ta a tactical golf usually as well. Um, technically, usually I think they're, they're probably at the same level. You know, you know how good they are um, all over the Arab world in terms of technique. So but like in terms of like strength and muscle, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Now, I mean, you touched on something very important, and I think this is um, this is part of the, the physicality in terms of different the stamina, the intensity at which these teams can play, press for 90 minutes as opposed to 50, 60 minutes that we see in, in a lot of the, the Arab national teams. So it's, I said it before, and I, I'm really sure that we're going to see a, a big disparity in some of the, the, the qualities between the Arab sides uh, and uh, a few of the other teams. It's, it's interesting. I think you mean the, the, the Asian side yeah. and the African sides because they're all... No, but like, <laughs> it's a weird thing because like even in Africa, they, they sometimes look at us and they say... Golf specifically. In, in Africa, sometimes they say, you guys are going to play an Arab cup, but you guys are African. And then some, it's like, it's a weird thing where you're kind of stuck between like, it's like Mediterranean, a Arab, but also African. It's Is it like, too late to cut that bell? <laughs> 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 no, no it's, uh, it's, it's honestly like a... It's a thing where you have to sort of assume all identities. You're not one at the expense of the other. You just sort of everything all at once and makes for a nice identity crisis every once in a while. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's something that I think eventually you, have, you wear with pride because it, it provides opportunities like this. Yeah, I think I'll be remiss if I didn't speak a little bit more about Palestine before we got to Group D. And, and obviously Maron will have his chance to speak about Lebanon at length. Um, Look, I think... I just say, sorry, very quickly. Palestine, the only side I've ever watched uh, beat Algeria at home in 2017. Yeah, that was, that was a fantastic game, right? So, um, uh, wait, that was the... They played twice in Algeria. Was that the one with all the fans? Yeah, that was... With, and we played our Olympic team, and I don't know if it was exactly your A side. I think there weren't all the players there, but... Yeah. It was, for us, it was... Uh, I think it was... Sorry, it was 2016. And it was um, a, pre a preparation for the for the Rio Olympics because our team had made it to the Rio Olympics. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, right? I think um, just looking back at the past couple of years, we did do this uh, sort of test match against an Algeria quasi Olympic team, both in 2016. Then we did a rematch in 2017. Palestine won those games 
1-0 both times. Uh, in between those two matches, there was also a match against a Moroccan kind of Olympic uh, prim side as well, which ended in a nil-nil draw. Look, I think the atmosphere around Palestine is very negative, and it, I don't blame the fans. When you um, have a coach that wins all the matches in 2017, leads them on a 10-match unbeaten streak, gets them to 73rd in the, in the FIFA rankings, and all of a sudden he's fired. Uh, Bolivian, okay, one of the greatest Bolivian footballers ever, but not really a great manager, comes in for two matches. You fire him. You bring back the coach. You bring back Abdel Nasser Berakat's staff, minus Abdel Nasser Berakat, um, just to kind of spite the fans. You make... And listen, I love Algeria to death, but this man is not representative, I think, of the Algerian people. Nouradine Ali is a crazy person. Um, I will throw a link if you guys want to see him uh, screaming at me at a press conference. Uh, that, that's one of my favorite experiences with the national team. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so good that his reign is over just because this team really regressed and it cost us an opportunity to be, you know, next to Lebanon, next to Iraq at the final stage of World Cup qualification. And all our neighbors have done it. You know, Jordan have done it in recent history. Syria has done it twice on the trot. Lebanon has done it. Iraq is always there. You know, we're the one country that never gets there. And we had a shot. We started off with, um, you know, beating Uzbekistan at home. We got that draw against Saudi Arabia. And really, when we look back, it was two random losses that we should have never lost, games we should have never lost to Yemen and Singapore that cost us. And when he was finally dismissed after 33 matches in charge, what happened? Okay, it was a weird appointment. Mekram Daboub, the Tunisian goalkeeping coach, is in charge, but the players like him and he knows tactics and he knows how to get this team to play how he wants, which is we're going to press teams up high up on the pitch, win the ball back, and do the quickest route to goal. Um, and we saw, you know, somebody asked me, I remember back in June, do you see this guy lasting or does he deserve a chance? And I said, he only deserves a chance if he wins these all three matches he has on the docket in June by three nil or more. He beat Singapore four nil. He beat Yemen three nil. And then to qualify for the Arab, uh, the Arab cup, he beat Comoros five one. So, uh, you know, there's negativity. I get it. And then, you know, Palestine is also a team that that really relies on um, a couple of key players that play abroad. Mahmoud Wadi that plays for Pyramids is not going to come because they have the Confederations Cup uh, to, to play in, so he can't come. Salah Shahadu plays in Switzerland, can't come. Ade Dabar, who I think is probably the best Arab Asian player uh, and doesn't get a lot of credit or respect, won't come because he's playing in Portugal and is his, is his team's top scorer. Uh, so but there is talent there. There are other there are other players who have played with each other. They know each other, um, and if they play like they did back in June, I could see them making things interesting. I'm not going to jinx them though. So when we get to the predictions thing, you'll see what I pick, and it's 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 the reverse jinx. I'm doing the reverse jinx. So if they do do well, I'm still going to claim credit, but I'm going to do the reverse jinx. And with that. We're going to get on to Group D, the final group we talk, we're going to talk about. We're throwing to Maron to talk about Lebanon, who are joined with uh, Algeria, uh, Egypt, and Sudan. So it's Lebanon, the sole Asian side, and three African sides. Maron, tell us what we need to know about Lebanon. Uh, usually, Lebanon now is on high, uh, basically after the six World Cup qualifiers, even though the results are not what we hoped. 
last minute two goals versus Iran uh, cost us the match, and uh, we dominated U UAE here uh, and uh, lost only by a penalty that a lot of the fans were felt it was sketchy or something like that. But overall, the performances are well. But uh, sadly, our main players will not be available uh, at the at the tournament. Our captain Hassan Matou, I, he was injured. He didn't play versus Iran or versus UAE. But I don't think he will uh, manage to to appear in the Arab Cup. He is our most experienced player ever. He has uh, almost 100 cap, and uh, and he uh, he is currently our top scorer since the 90s, co-top scorer, because uh, we have uh, our uh, our top scorer. We don't know how much goals he scored, so he has uh, I think more than 21. So yeah, uh, but uh, he won't he won't feature. Uh, we have players that plays in Europe. Bessagerardi, who plays in Cyprus, who won't he won't be able to come. Uh, Hedi Gandur, who plays in uh, third division in English in England. Uh, Omar Bigel, who plays in the fourth division in England, won't be able to come. Uh, yeah, probably we'll have Rabia Ataya, who was, uh, uh, in my opinion, man of the match versus UAE. Uh, we will have also uh, players coming from uh, the Far East, uh, like John Omari, from, who plays for uh, Tokyo FC in Japan. So uh, we will be almost full power, and, uh, uh, but we won't be able. We won't. We lost a couple of weapons that would be very helpful. Uh, so that's why I don't really think we can see Lebanon. Uh, qualify from that group uh if lebanon is to get a win uh against any of these three teams in the group who would you back them to get a result against uh, i think it's obvious no <laughs> i think it's be versus sudan i have a quick question about lebanon because i, I the, djibouti came to play in algeria in uh, i think it was august or september and uh, i had a fantastic opportunity to speak to the the french coaching staff um, and they really, really spoke about this match against Lebanon where they felt like we were so close. It was just a few mistakes and we could have made it to the Arab Cup and Lebanon is a strong team and we pushed them to their limits. And honestly, Djibouti got, <laughs> got manhandled here. The match ended up being 8-0 over here against Algeria and they ended up finishing, I think, with like negative 30 goal difference um, in, the, in the FIFA World Cup qualifying group here because they got really beat down by Niger and Burkina Faso as well. So I'm just wondering, like, is that an accurate barometer? Like, is Djibouti supposed to be close to, to Lebanon in terms of level or not? Uh, yeah, Djibouti was close in that game. But uh, just remember that the team was coming back from South Korea, where they were, where they played three qualifiers. And, in, and with a lot of pressure, because after the North Korea uh, withdrew from the qualifiers, we had our chances. And then, uh, like emotionally, we screwed up versus Turkmenistan. It was the players' fault, and they knew it was their fault. Then they lost versus Korea in a very hard-fought game, and then uh, chance played, and Saudi Arabia beat Uzbekistan, and, they, and a lot of results went our way in order to qualify for the third round. So, 
mentally the players weren't really that good and before going to south korea the league had stopped for almost two months so uh it wasn't really the ideal uh circumstances for lebanon also all our players abroad weren't in the team like the european teams were uh the players of the european teams went back to europe and also the players in the asian continent went back to their clubs because the leagues were also uh going you know asia follow the uh the yearly uh, calendar not the one that we are used to at europe so basically we were just playing with uh with players from lebanon they uh i think one or two players there made their debut for Djibouti. so uh yeah you really don't don't take it as a reference for what the Lebanese team also we had we have another coach and yeah lot of mishaps from that game but yeah in that game Djibouti was what close but uh, I don't think that it could be a reference for where the Lebanese football is compared to Djibouti. Yeah, I think Maher, like the floor is yours because we've got um, three African sides in this group. Yeah. This seems like one of the most straightforward ones. Am I missing something here? Because I think conventional wisdom would say Egypt and Algeria. Um, can can we make a can we make a, a point think, or a case for Sudan? I don't think so. <laughs> I think Egypt, uh, Egypt for sure. Uh, Egypt is going to be headed by their real coach. Carlos Queiroz, who's uh, probably one of the most well-respected coaches in Africa and probably in the world as well in terms of international teams. Um, he's, um, he's come recently. He's only been coach of the Egyptian national team for, I think, uh, two months now. And before he came, they were in a difficult position. Egypt, which is the, the really frustrating bit. Sorry, sorry? He, he turned down the Iraq job to take the... Yeah. Makes it yeah. all the more painful to listen to this. Yeah, he, he was even like maybe close to, to getting the Algeria job as well. Um, but yeah, he's, before he came, they were really struggling. The, there was a chance that Libya was going to struggle with Egypt to make it to the next round of World Cup qualifying. But since he's been there, Egypt have, have been on a roll. They qualified early and they look like it looks like the players are enjoying themselves again. Hussam and Badri kind of had a reputation for being a little bit of a disciplinarian and a hard man. And uh, with uh, with Kieros, it seems like there's a new page that's been turned and the players are are, are starting to make it. However, you're not going to have your Mohamed Salah. You're not going to have uh, the striker at Galatasaray, uh, Mohamed Mustafa, Mustafa Mahoud. I forget his name. Uh, really good striker as well. Omar Marmouche, who's been decisive in qualifying campaign, uh, plays for Wolfsburg. So you're going to be without those European players, obviously. And even, I think, Ahmed Hegezi, the defender who plays at Hajidda, he's not going to be able to, uh, to, to play for this uh, Egyptian side. And even, I think, some of the pyramid players, there's been rumors that they, they won't be able to... Uh, to make the squad as well. So nonetheless, so nonetheless, Ahli's a Malik base, they're still going to be super, super strong. And Algeria is different because we're going to, instead of Algeria's real strength, look, we're 33 matches unbeaten. We're four matches away from the world record uh, for unmatches unbeaten for a national team. We're the African champions and we're looking good to, to, if we make it to Qatar, inshallah, probably be the best Arab side, I would say, taking into account the last two, three years of form. However, that's mostly due to the coach, <laughs> Jamal Belmadi, who uh, used to be the coach of the Qatari national team and Lafouya. And, um, but now we have Majid Bouguera, who's going to be taking care of this team. 
he's going to have about four to five starters um, that are going to be playing, which is good. Uh, Yusuf Belayli, Baghdad Bounajah, Jamal Belamri, uh, Raisin Borhi, the goalkeeper. So these are these are all uh, very, very good players who I expect to sort of lead the rest of the team on. Uh, look out for Emir Saoud, who had uh, 30, more than 30 goals in, in a little more than 40 matches for Algerian champions uh, Sierra Belwizdad last year. So yeah, definitely going to be those two teams who I think are favorites. Uh, Sudan had brought in a new coach, Hubert Valoud, and they finished last in their group in World Cup qualifying. Not expecting much from them. I think it's Egypt and Algeria will be favorites. Egypt slightly a little bit more because of the, the coaching, I think, is going to play a, a little bit of a difference. Just one last thing. Keep an eye out for Yusuf Bilali. This guy is, I swear, when I watch the Algerian national team, he plays better than Riyad Mahrez. 90% of the time. He is incredible. A fantastic talent. We should be playing it at the Champions League. But unfortunately, he has like a very bad decision-making agents, all that stuff. But I think he could very well be the best player in this tournament. Okay, so with that, we are going to get to prediction. We might actually lose Maron very soon due to extenuating circumstances. We won't get into that. It's the Lebanese experience. So Maron, it is your, uh, you're going to be first up to make predictions Give me uh, a group winner and a runner up from each uh, group. You're, You're on, on mute. mute. Sorry. Uh, well, uh, let's start from our group. In group D, I think it's obvious Egypt and Algeria. Uh, uh, in group C, I think my memory will fade a bit because I um, didn't. Uh, if you can help me with Morocco, it, uh, Saudi Arabia, Palestine, Jordan. Saudi Arabia and Morocco, uh, obviously. And the group B was there because I didn't memorize them. So. Uh, yeah, let me recap. That is uh, Tunisia, UAE, Syria, and Mauritania. Uh, Tunisia and uh, UAE. I think they can they can make it through. Uh, in Group A, that's the Gulf Cup group of uh, Qatar, Iraq, Oman, and Bahrain. Qatar and Oman, sorry, Hassan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think eventually it would come down between four countries, uh, Qatar uh, and Saudi Arabia, and maybe uh, Egypt and uh, Algeria from, uh, from Africa. Uh, okay, G give me a give me a give me a winner. Give me a give me a winner. Let's do that. I I said Qatar. If nobody heard, heard me. Okay, so you've got uh, Qatar as champion, and before we let you go, um, a top scorer and uh, a player to watch out for. That could be a Lebanese player. Or that could be a player that you think not a lot of people are talking about from one of the other 15 uh, countries that are participating. We're on mute again. Sorry. Uh, from Qatar, I think uh, for the top score, I think it would be from Qatar, uh, but it's really far fetched. Uh, so, but I think it could be Mataz Ali. But uh, player to watch, I will choose someone from Lebanon, and uh, probably it would be Rabi Ataya if he was called up because there's still some uh, mishap about that. But 
yeah, I think Rabi Ataya will uh, will take the light from the Bernese games because he's a little dribbler, uh, almost like a Latino style player. So I think he would do great. Great, fantastic, Moro. I'm so happy that um, you didn't give us the true Lebanese experience and <laughs> the electricity didn't cut out. Super happy to have you on board. Thank you for your insights. Um, let's move on. Let's get uh, Maher's predictions. Uh, give me a group winner and a runner-up from each of the groups. If you need me to recap any of the groups, just tell me and I'll, I'll remind you what the groups look like. I got it here. So I'm going to be pretty boring. I'm going to be, I think it's going to be similar. Um, Qatar, I think, are going to be group winners in Group A. I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Iraq. Why not? I'm going to go with Iraq <laughs> as runners up. Uh, I have faith that uh, maybe this list that's coming out is going to include uh, a lot of uh, young talent. I hope. Uh, group B, let's go with Tunisia, and I'm also going to go with the UAE. Uh, I think Mauritania and Syria will make things a little bit difficult, but those two teams will make it through. Morocco, Saudi Arabia, sorry, Bessel. And uh, the final group, I'm going to also go with Egypt and Algeria. My uh, winner of the tournament, um, I think, is going to be Tunisia. I think it's going to be Tunisia. I think they're uh, usually good in these kinds of tournaments. And they have as, some, as close to the real, real national team as, uh, as any of the other African nations. Um, and like I spoke about before, that good mix of, of experience and youth. Um, a player to look out for. Look, if he plays, let's let's stick with Tunisia and talk about Hannibal Mejbri from from Manchester United. If he plays a lot, I think that would be a great opportunity to really ex showcase his talent uh, on a wonderful stage on a, on an international stage. Um, if not, then I think watch out for Yusuf. For me, it's Yusuf Belayli. For me, this guy is again fantastic footballer. For I, again, he often outplays Riyad Mahrez for the Algerian national team. I swear to God, he is incredible. Um, he assisted those two goals they got against Burkina Faso in their last qualifier. He was the best player for Algeria in that game. I, I was pitch side on Tuesday in, for that Burkina Faso match, and it's just, I don't know what to say. <laughs> you just look up Yusuf Belayli if you haven't yet, and just watch watch, watch the YouTube. And with the Algerian national team, he's probably been our best player since 2019. Mahdas has scored more decisive goals in terms of dribbling, creating opportunities. I'd probably say Yusuf Belayli. And uh, finally, top scorer. Um, I'm going to go with either a Tunisian or Moroccan. If it's Tunisian, let's say either Saifuddin Jaziri uh, or... My pick. <laughs> is that your pick? <laughs> I think he could finish top scorer. If not, um, look for one of the Moroccan strikers who, like Ayoub al Kabi or uh, or maybe Ashraf bin Shirti. Whoever is plays... Is coming? Because Kabi plays in Turkey now. So I... I oh, okay. coming. My bad, my bad, my bad. I missed that up then. Okay, so definitely not Al Kabi. So let's let's stick with Jaziri. Maybe Baghdad Bounajah then, if we're going to stick with Algerians, because he's he's scored an incredible amount of goals in Qatar. Uh, I think he's averaged more than a goal a game for the last uh, four or five years since he's been playing in Qatar. He'll know the stadiums. He'll know, uh, and and he's the only problem with Bounajah is he's been missing a lot of easy chances with the national team recently. But uh, I hope that like being on home soil sort of for him might unlock something and he might start uh, being a little more clinical. Okay, um, I'll, I'll leave my predictions to, to um, the end. Uh, Hassanen, give us your uh, predictions. I need a winner and a runner up from all the groups. Um, I can see, I can see Egypt winning this, you know, uh, Carlos Kiroz is a manager I, I think is amazing and I really wish we, we had him as our manager. 
but you know it wasn't meant to be. I could see them uh, like crossing the, the final line with with the experience squad that they have with, with the the manager that they have. Um, in terms of my predictions, yeah, it's literally what Mahab said. I can see Iraq and um, Qatar going through the first uh, group. Um, let me get the, the other groups out. Tunis is for Group B, if I'm not mistaken. Um, alongside uh, Emirat, I can see them going through. Group C is um, is uh, Algeria and um, Egypt, no. no? No, Group C is uh, Palestine's group. Palestine, Jordan, um, Saudi Arabia, and Morocco. Yeah, Saudi Arabia, Morocco. I, I'd be very shocked if that's not the case. And for the final group, it would be um, the two North African sides, uh, Algeria and Egypt. In terms of uh, who I expect to maybe finish as like top goal scorers, I could see like for example, Qatar's Moaz uh, Ali, for example, finishing top goal scorer. Um, I could see them going far in the tournament, giving me a lot of games for him to get uh, goals. Um, in terms of young talents. Hanbel Mejbari, as a, as a United fan, um, somebody that I know a lot about. Uh, I know um, he's, he's an incredible talent. Whether he gets game time or not, I don't know. I'd love to propose some Arabi players, but I just don't know what the squad uh, is going to be like. I mean, as you guys are speaking, I've been on my phone, Instagram, refreshing, waiting for something to come through from the FA, but nothing. If, if I was to say, um, and this is me guessing he's going to be in the squad, there's a young player called um, Ahmed Sartip from our Olympic side, who's an absolute baller uh, on, on the left wing. Uh, very young, very talented player. Um, assuming he's going to be there, he's, he's somebody to watch out for. All right, so I guess that just leaves me and um, my predictions. I think I'm going to mix it up a little bit. I agree with like 90% of what you guys predicted. Um, Look, I mentioned uh, one of the interesting stats is that uh, Iraq and Qatar are just two sides. I mean, Qatar hasn't participated in a whole lot of Pan-Arab tournaments, just two Arab Cups, two Pan-Arab Games. But every time they participated, they found a way out of the group stage. Um, you know, UAE is the other side that hasn't uh, ever exited a group stage, but it's only two Arab Cups for them as well. Uh, but Iraq is a side that, yes, I understand that they should be a lot better than what they are right now but I still think that they are better than Bahrain and Oman. And they kind of have that, men I think they have that mental edge, right? Because uh, look, you know, I I've Palestine and Iraq, that's, Iraq is Palestine's most common opponent and Iraq owns us. They are, are like, Iraq is our daddy, 100%. There's no going, there's no sugarcoating it. That's the reality. But, you know, there was a time when we used to play in Iraq and we're like, okay, three nil, at least, and now it's, oh yeah, okay, we're gonna find a way to lose this, but it's gonna be very, very competitive. Um, and, and I do think that that win against Iraq is gonna happen sooner or later for us. But I think that relationship that we have is also the relationship some of the other teams in the region also have with Iraq. And I, I think the players wanna put it right. You know, They wanna use this tournament as you know, kind of a palate cleanser to make a final push in World Cup qualifying. So I will go Qatar and Iraq. Uh, group B, uh, we all said Tunisia was going to win the group. I think Tunisia is going to win the group. UAE, I'm just not convinced. I mean, I just think, I think they're a bunch of frauds. I'm sorry to Emirati fans out there. I, I just, you don't convince me. And going to naturalizing players and bringing back Van Marvijk, what are you doing? So, but then again, like Mauritania is also not that convincing and Syria is not that convincing. Um, 
But, you know, if there's one team that is just all about the drama and could do something crazy just because that's what they are, that's their brand, it'll be serious. I'm going to say Tunisia and Syria, probably like on three points. That'll be like Tunisia nine, Syria three and goal difference, something like that. Uh, group C, Morocco will win that group. And I'm going with um, Jordan, so I can jinx them. Um, to be the uh, to be the runners up. I also think you know, uh, look, I can make a case for Palestine. I could also make the case against Palestine. Um, they'll be an interesting team to watch for sure. But yeah, I mean, it would be I think different if we had uh, Abdullah Jabir, who's one of the best left backs in Asia. Um, our left back position is going to be a problem. Nazmi Bedoui, who's a great number ten, he retired. Um, and we got, we have a former Croatia under 21, Mohamed Al-Ghul, who's coming in. I think he's one of my players to watch. He could be a good addition to the side. We don't really have an established number nine striker. We've got this 19-year-old, the Rival de Hampshire, who I really like, but he's only played three times with the national team. So there's there are issues there. You know, if the, if the full squad was there, if Rodé de Barre was there, I think things would be very different. Um, but I'm going to pick Jordan to do what they always do, which is rain on somebody's parade, usually ours. Uh, Group D, no no, uh, surprise, Egypt and Algeria. And um, I agree with Mahav. I think Tunisia wins this tournament. My my top scorer, I said, was uh, gonna be Jaziri. Uh, Players to watch, uh, Afsha, the uh, uh, Egyptian player. I think this could be a tournament where he really uh, shows off his stuff. Um, from a Palestinian perspective, I'm really excited to see Mohamed um, Al-Ghul. I have never seen this player play before in, in my life, but they call him the Palestinian Luka Modric in Croatia, and he played for their under-21 team. So am I getting my hopes up, and am I getting excited, uh, and am I going to be a very different person in two weeks' time when Palestine exits the group stage and it all goes wrong? 100%. Am I setting myself up for disappointment? 100%, but we're all fans. This is what we do at the end of the day. So um, yeah, I would say let's look out for him. Maybe, maybe he'll be the surprise of the tournament. Um, and yeah, so I'll say to Tunisia and then Efsha, player to watch, Jaziri top scorer. So with that, um, we've reached the conclusion of our first FIFA Arab Cup roundtable. We'll be back on the first rest day, which is December 2nd to recap uh, action in round one. Uh, in the meantime, if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment below, give us your predictions. And we'll, if we reach, let's say a thousand likes, we will uh, do a giveaway to the person who uh, picks, let's say the winner and the top scorer correctly. So go ahead and do that. Uh, thank you to my guests, uh, Mahrim Zahi, Hassanin Bilal, and uh, Maron Mahfoud, for joining me and we will see you in the next one. Until then, enjoy the football.